You are welcome to another exciting episode of CADA Matters. CADA Matters is an awareness-raising programme of CADA. CADA is an acronym for Church Against Domestic Abuse, a UK-based charity working to prevent and end domestic abuse, especially in Christian homes. Listen to this episode with Gracilis so as to build healthy relationships and keep your home and relationships abuse-free. So good evening, viewers. I'm just going to take note of the time now so that um, I don't cheat people and say it's time to go when we have actually not done any work. We're really sorry that we're starting now. So we're starting now and um, this is another evening where we come to discuss again matters relating to domestic abuse, relating to healthy relationships and this is Kada Matters. Um, we're welcoming Pastor Leah. This is her first time of coming here. And um, I know that there are several people who are wondering who she is, why must she be the one to speak to us? Is she a real pastor? There are so many pastors these days, you know, there are several. Is she a pastor? Is she a pastor's wife? What exactly is she? Well, you're going to discover that much more than that title, there's a lot to her. And I would allow her to say so. And the reason why we brought her up is because tomorrow we'll be marking the International Day of elimination of violence against women and i thought it would be great to have a woman come to speak to us and a woman who also speaks to other women who has things and, and to share with other women so uh, let, let's show her some love as she introduces herself thank you you're welcome pastor Leah. thank you thank you so much thank you um Kada for having me. My name is Leah Umeokeke. I'm actually a pastor's wife and a pastor. But beyond that, I'm a development professional. Um, I've been a development professional for over a decade, and I've also been a pastor's wife and a pastor for over a decade as well. Um, I specialize in gender-based prevention and response. Um, I also specialize in gender programming, HIV and AIDS, uh, prevention and reduction and also general adolescent sexual and reproductive health programming so those are the areas uh, of my work <laughs> thank okay. you okay thank you so much so we can all see that she's the right person to be speaking to us she's got the experience she's been on the field this is her job this is her life this is what she deals with and you know i was writing out a post today and i was like saying um Oh, what does the pastor's wife, how does the pastor's wife show empathy to the other women? Sometimes we think she's married to the perfect man and married to the man all the women want to get married to. <laughs> I don't, I think, is that your husband that has joined? Good evening, Pastor. Yeah. Thank you for joining. So, um, and I just thought, okay, well, I began to wonder to myself, what are some of the challenges you encounter, you know, as a pastor's wife, when you come to the home front, you know, do you encounter people thinking that your home is the perfect home? Do you encounter pressure on your children? Want people wanting them to be the perfect children? People wanting your home to be the perfect home? How, how has that been for you? Well, I, I must say that the journey is not, um, is not devoid of those challenges that you have mentioned. Um, it's been a journey of before now. Um, I won't say that I still have those challenges, but before now, I used to strive to want to be available and accessible to everyone. Mm. And it, it, in that sense um, of being able to open up my home to everyone, being able to show care to everyone uh, per time and being able to be available for everyone. But over time, I realized that um, 
you'll be spreading yourself too thin mm -hmm. if you're unable to say no at some point or to say I can't do this at some point or to say I can't be available at you know you, you get exhausted and begin to experience the exhausted woman syndrome um, you're a pastor's wife but you're still a woman you're still human and then in the area of you know trying to have a perfect home you, I used to try so hard um, once I hear that guests are coming in, I want a sparkling clean home. I want all the three course meals available. You know, I just want everything to be in order. But as I grew older in being a pastor's wife, I realized that you can be exhausted. Your house can be untidy at some point and people should understand and your home might not be open to everybody every time. You can say, my home is disorganized. You can't come in now. Oh, I'm tied up here. I can't meet up with this church activity. I can't meet up with your naming ceremony. I can meet up with, you know, I'm, I'm able to say no to all those demands on me. So the challenge is reducing. But I see a lot of other pastors' wives facing that challenge, the challenge of trying to raise perfect children um, and trying to, you know, mold your children and keep them shaped into a particular mode, forgetting that um, they all have their individuality mm -hmm. and they are humans that are allowed to make mistakes, um, learn from their mistakes, and allowed to grow in the process, you know. So I, I look out for adults that try to condemn my children um, unnecessarily. I, I look out for adults that try to pull them down and try to make them lose their individuality and keep saying, do you know you're a pastor's son? Um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't you do this, you shouldn't do that. I'll say they're first of all humans, they're first of all humans and should be treated as such. And then there are children that are still growing and learning. Um, that is not to say that we don't teach them excellent character excellent behavior mm -hmm. but to expect perfection is a demand that cannot be met by anybody wow. well i like what you said i see you you blend as it were to like put the boundaries in place because if the boundaries are not put in place at the end of the day you're going to be exhausted and you will not be any good so it's better for you to preserve yourself in such a way that you could do the things that are absolutely necessary as it were, and then minister where you really do need to minister. And, and it's okay if you don't um, you don't attend every baby shower. It's okay if people can't come every time because that's just not that's not just it at all. Well, I think we just always have this. The pastor's wife is a superwoman, and all of that. I, I can imagine that the, your role is quite varied. You see different things. I wonder what your experience has been as a pastor's wife when it comes to gender-based violence yeah uh thank you gracilis that's a very interesting question um as a pastor's wife and an activist mm. an advocate <laughs> against um gender-based violence it's been quite you know a bumpy one um because you know people expect you as a pastor's wife not to be this vocal um mm -hmm. to you know, be quiet, um, let's deal with church issues within the church. But when it comes to gender-based violence, it is a crime and um, it, shouldn't be, it, it shouldn't be kept, it shouldn't be kept in. The perpetrators need to be called out. 
and you know shamed so that they don't keep perpetuating gbv um so the church expects you to be quiet about it um the church expects you to say only good things about the church um the church expects you not to be very um um activists kind of when it comes to issues of gender-based violence but um in fighting gbv you can't afford to be quiet you have to speak out you have to you have to address it um you have to call out um the perpetrators you have to seek uh, for them to be punished or prosecuted but the church expects you to just you let let let's handle it within the church and pray about it and it keeps growing mm -hmm. and we keep having more victims we keep having more survivors uh because the church expects you to be quiet about it mm -hmm. yeah. i know that some people might be listening and start wondering what's gender-based violence uh, and so I, i'd like to say that why you're asking this next question you know um talking about what barriers you have with dealing with domestic abuse as a pastor's wife especially in your congregation and consider the type of work you do. Could you throw more light on what, what gender-based violence is, really? Thank you, I'm sure our listeners know domestic abuse and <laughs> us for such a long time. But for some people, they might just be thinking, what's gender-based violence? What's that one now? Can you help us? Yeah. So gender-based violence is it's, it's like, it's an umbrella term. Okay. So it's beyond rape, it's beyond domestic abuse, it's beyond sexual abuse is an umbrella term that covers any harmful act that is perpetrated against a person's will and it's usually based on socially ascribed um, differences between males and females it, 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 it inflicts physical sexual mental um or even threats of those kind of harms it it has to do with cohesion and deprivation of liberty manipulation of people to engage in acts that are against their will either physical sexual emotional mental against their will is an umbrella term that houses all that and it's usually harmful so are some of the barriers? I know you've mentioned um, the, the, the way that things could be different for me in church. What, what do you perceive as some of the barriers that, uh, as it were, stand in the place between you dealing with domestic abuse as a pastor's wife in your congregation, especially coming from the angle of your job? I know you've mentioned the fact that people want you to pray about it. People want you. To, are there still some other barriers that you actually encounter? yeah um there are lots lots and lots of other barriers and a lot of the other barriers are hinged on the culture of silence um when it comes to such um issues um the barrier of you know victims or survivors wanting you to be quiet about it or pleading actually pleading that you shouldn't take it to the open you shouldn't address it um, those, those kind of barriers exist and the barriers of using the scripture, you know, that says that we should handle um, such issues as brethren without taking it out, uh, you know, um, to the law. Um, those kind of barriers exist and, and mostly the barriers are with the survivors or victims. 
they are the ones that are stopping you from going out to address the issue. They are the ones that are begging you, um, please don't take it out there. Please, I know he's going to change. Um, I know he's going to stop, please, um, and all that. And then eventually, if you do go against their plea, they will turn their back against you and say you're actually the one telling the lie. And we need to hear the story from the lips of the survivors and the victims as opposed to, um, it has to be evidence-based. So if, if they're not willing to go all out with you, there's a limit to what you can do. Mm -hmm. So that's the major challenge, the challenge of victims and perpetrators begging you to be quiet about it, um, not to call names, not to address it. It, it, it's, it's very limiting, I must say, because you need them to be able to address it. Mm -hmm. And so without their, their boldness to come out, there's nothing much you can do about it because they need to you know, provide their testimonies. They need to provide their own accounts. It has to be evidence-based uh, and we need to hear from their lips. So a lot of times the survivors silence you. That's the truth. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, recently, I was just thinking, because uh, like tomorrow is this international day, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm trying to write an article, and I'm wondering, okay, I want to write an article. I don't want it to sound academic. And I, I thought about um, the lit, um gospel artist, um, Osina Chi. I thought about her, and then I thought about that other lady whose husband happens to be a journalist. And you know, at the end of the day, they said the governor called, made a three-hour meeting, and the next thing she says, I'm going to make, make my marriage work. And, and sometimes, really, in society, there's this cultural expectation of what the woman should do. But you mentioned something very important, because when it comes to the church, you know, our hierarchy of authority, somehow, at the end of the day, places a lot of emphasis rightfully on the scriptures. And the scriptures itself actually seems to be some of the things, like what you said, that are... Uh, being used to perpetuate you know the culture of silence and uh, some certain scriptures have been erroneously misinterpreted that seems to provoke or expect a certain sense of response from a woman or make a woman actually stay more likely in an environment of abuse so can you share more light on some of those scriptures and what, what exactly those scriptures really mean and not the way we take it in our own cultural context um, putting people in danger really at the end of the day. Yeah, so um, I, I agree with you. We've, we've taken a lot of scriptures, you know, in line with our cultural context that have caused a lot of women to remain under, um, to remain in situations of abuse. For example, um, they showed the scripture, Genesis 2 on you, where God said, let, let me make for the man a helper and you know, misinterpreted that a helper is a servant. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, um, God made the woman to serve the man, the woman is less important than the man. But the truth is God took um, the man's ribs and he didn't take his feet, he didn't take his toenails, um, he didn't take the hair of his head to say he's above, uh, she's above the man or you know, his toenails to say, okay, she's beneath the man. He took his ribs to show that there's equality. 
um, the man and the woman are equal. They are meant to uh, complement each other. So helper is not less or inferior. Um, it doesn't mean the woman is inferior to the man or she's um, less important than the man. They are equal in, in the relationship, if you get what I mean. In the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, there were several instances where um, God declared himself as Israel's helper. I am thy helper. I am thy helper. I will help you. And so we don't interpret that scripture to say that um, God is beneath us yeah. or God is less than us. So a helper is, is, is an equal force, is equally as powerful as the person that is being helped. The way God is, is all powerful and is our helper, if, if, if you all get what I mean. And the, the, the scripture in Ephesians 5 that talks about wives submit to your husband, um, it's been misinterpreted to mean that um, wives have to submit to their husband in every matter, whether right or wrong. But the correct interpretation is that the wife chooses to submit to her husband. She must not be forced. She must not be pressured. She must not be punished if she refuses to submit or disagree with his opinion. And, because, and that's because sometimes his, his way, ways might be wrong. So I, might, I must not submit to my husband in sin. I must not submit to my husband when it comes to a crime. For example, some, some women, even church women, have had a um, pastor husband that are sexually abusing females in the church. And the husband is saying, you cannot speak out because you have to submit to me. In that, in that instance, there's no, she has to choose whether to submit to your crime or your sin or to speak against it. And you cannot pressure her to submit in that instance because that's not what the scripture means. And then you cannot also punish her for going against your interpretation of submission in that context. Mm -hmm. So I cannot submit to my husband's sin or his crime. That's not what the Bible requires of me. The Bible teaches that I should freely choose to submit to my husband. It is a gift that I am to give to him. And he must not force me to submit when I disagree with such um, opinions that are against the scripture, against the word of God. And then other, you know, in Peter, the Bible also talks about submission too. And then you can interpret it as saying that I, I have to submit to my husband in anything, in everything. But it is not, it is not the right interpretation. The husband has the responsibility to also serve me as Christ served the church mm -hmm. and gave himself for the church. You understand? The, the husband may, may, is not likely to do anything he likes to do because he's obligated and responsible um, to respect me, to also give himself for me as Christ gave himself for the church. Likewise, I'm also expected to do that. So there are lots and lots of, of scriptures that address that, um, not to go over our one minute slot, you know, but 
a lot of scriptures have been misinterpreted um, to, to make the women subservient, uh, to shut them up, to say um, women are to be quiet in the church, uh, women shouldn't speak up, and then your husband is, is, is committing crimes and you're saying you're submitting to your husband. And then you, you, you tell yourself that the book of Peter says uh, women should suffer for their husbands as Christ suffered for the church. No, that's not what the Bible said. The Bible was speaking to servants. You are not a servant. You are his wife. When the Bible talked about servants enduring beatings and all that, he didn't say the same thing for wives. So staying in an in, in abusive relationship is a choice and not a demand from God. You're choosing to remain in an abusive relationship and interpreting it as a command um, for submission from God. And then God, and you're interpreting it as God said, you're going to convert your, your unbelieving husband if you, if you stay quiet, if you stay submissive. The Bible talks about an unbelieving husband, not an abusive husband. So if the only... Um, area of disagreement is that my husband is fighting my belief in Christ and I'm trying to stay calm to win him over fine but if the issue is that I am being battered I am being abused you know I am I am made to keep quiet in that abuse then that's not that's not an unbelieving husband and you trying to show him Christ likeness by remaining in the abusive relationship. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So Christ loved the church, sacrificed himself for the church. Um, Christ did not batter the church. Uh, Christ did not, um, you know, crumble, you know, um, crumble the church by, by keeping her under, by making her lose her voice. Um, the relationship between Christ and the church is empowering. It's liberating. Um, it, it, it's not. It's not abusive in any way. So we we shouldn't uh, misinterpret the Bible that way. His relationship was loving and caring, and it meant putting us first. That was why he gave himself for the church. So it's that's what it should be like. My my husband always talks about loving as Christ loves the church, loving the Christ way, and that's. For me is empowering and not abusive mm. Mm. i like the illustration you've used because i don't think that's something i've ever talked about about the fact that when we say helper god actually describes himself in the book of Isaiah several times as our helper and you've actually shed a lot of light on what i would have perhaps been asking and saying what does the bible teach you know when it comes to domestic abuse and you talked about the fact of submitting because even when the bible teaches us tells us to be submissive to authority or human authority we find in the book of acts that um, when peter and co were told not to do what they were supposed to do they actually said listen we'll rather obey god choose who we should obey we'll obey god than men and we find some women even in homes where their husband is abusing their daughters or their stepdaughters and they be men there. Sometimes some people, like you said, a pastor's wife could rightly be men in a relationship that is emotionally abusive with her husband sleeping around in church and everywhere because she wants to keep the title, she wants to keep her home and all of that and all of that. 
and, and I know that there are some pastors' wives that may be listening, you know, to us tonight. Uh, some people might come. How can a what can a pastor's wife do when it comes to stopping and preventing gender-based violence? in her congregation and making the congregation also because it's one thing to prevent but getting people to feel safe enough to talk about it what can she do to as it were promote healthy relationships because i was saying somebody the other day um, last week when we were talking about celebrating manhood and the use and the, the way a role model could do i'm like when the pastor says from the pulpit i was washing plates the other day it sent a message across to the men in the church that washing plates is not something if pastor could wash plates in his house then bros what's happening to you that you can't even help to even <laughs> I, used to, I used to have a friend who was married to somebody who would not even turn off who she could not even say oh let me quickly dash to the shop i've realized that this tea is not enough could you look at the rice while it's boiling and he'll say no he's not looking at it sit down wait for the rice to boil put it off yourself then you can go to the shop and and you eat from the food and all of that. So, what does what can a pastor's wife do to stop and prevent gender-based violence from occurring in her congregation, as in within her power? And how can she do to make her church, as in the kind that people feel safe, you know, to talk, and they are mm. not ashamed when it comes to talking? Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much, Brucellis. Um, the church as a safe space. Um, that's that's that stuff. The church is supposed to be a safe space. And the pastor's wife has a key role to play in that. Um, the first thing for me will be for her to gain knowledge. Um, you need to know exactly what gender-based violence, um, domestic abuse is. And then you have to begin to unlearn the cultural norms, you know, like you talked about um, the man that won't step into the kitchen, the cultural norms that promote gender-based violence, the norms that tells you that women shouldn't talk about sexual and reproductive health in the church, and it shouldn't even be, be mentioned. So you, dis, you know, a current instance is a pastor's wife that has realized that her husband has had sex with over eight girls in church. They got pregnant he facilitated an abortion and the pastor's wife now wants to protect her marriage now wants to protect the ministry that they built and is going to those girls and saying i know you had you did this with my husband i have forgiven you more like the girls are the only um criminals in mm -hmm. the crime mm -hmm. um, i have forgiven you but please keep quiet. yeah keep quiet don't talk about it without really addressing the fact that your husband committed this crime is an unequal power play yeah when it comes to when it comes to a pastor who has been giving members they are in his care mm -hmm. so they should be safe with him mm -hmm. um if he gets to the point of abusing them either sexually physically emotionally economically then is an unequal power play. There's nothing to say that it was consensual. Mm -hmm. It is an unequal power play. And so the pastor's wife needs to gain knowledge about what GBV entails and the dynamics of gender-based violence. Now, the truth is um, when, when, when this happens in church, it starts with, first of all, sexual harassment. 
And then you that now knows as a pastor's wife, empower your congregation. Let your congregation know your stance when it comes to issues of domestic violence or gender-based violence. Your, your congregation needs to know your stance and they need to know that you are an advocate against this and then you are there to listen to them when this happens to them without judging them mm -hmm. you understand so in the in the case in question that I, I i shared um now the victim or the survivor is painted as the criminal mm -hmm. as the person that wants to bring down the church oh, yes. as the person that wants to bring down the pastor and you know there evidence that this is not um this is not just one person that has yeah. happened to yeah that's become a systemic thing the system has been built around it and everyone that wants to speak out it's been um manipulated to keep mm -hmm. quiet it's been coerced to keep quiet mm -hmm. for example you have a nurse in the church that you are using to conduct the abortions mm. and you're now telling her that if you speak out you're going against the confidentiality um ethics of your profession and we're going to sue you for that for crying out loud that's that's manipulative that's devilish you, you get what i'm saying so you as the pastor's wife need to come out and speak against it you can't be quiet about domestic violence and you, you, you say you're a pastor's wife. Your people are not safe with you. They need to know your stand against gender-based violence and domestic violence. And when it happens in your congregation, the next thing you do, now that you're knowledgeable about it, and you have now become motivated to change, you have to implement that change. By going all out when it happens, to get the perpetrator prosecuted, even if it's your husband. Even if it is your husband. So if, if you're if you're not gonna if you're not gonna shame and name your husband, then you cannot do it if it happens to other members of the congregation. So your approach to um, you know reducing GBV and domestic violence should be prevention first. You should take the approach of prevention. And the approach of prevention is to gain knowledge about GBV. It's to speak up against it. It's to become an activist. It's to become an advocate for those who have been victims or survivors of this. And it's to address it when it happens. Now, what the knowledge will do for you is to equip you with the laws. Because there are laws beyond the laws of the bible that says that any form of violence is an offense even the book of psalms talks about any form of psalms 11 any kind of violence is an offense to god and so if we're made in the image of god and god frowns at violence we should also frown at violence yeah. And then you should know the provisions of the laws against gender-based violence because you will need it. Mm. You would need it to fight it. Mm. And then you should know the structures that have been built in the society. There are um, sexual and gender-based violence response centers. So for, so for example, for the young girls um, whose father is abusing her sexually, 
you know that her home might no longer be a safe space mm -hmm. if you step in and address this. There are GBV response centers and safe spaces where such a young girl can be housed so that you're not handicapped um, with regard to where the young girl will stay. So you as the pastor's wife has a key role to play. You have to, you have to make your congregation know your stance. You have to make your congregation know that you believe them. You know, the, you know they, they throw that card of in the mouth of two or three witnesses. But there are crimes that were addressed in the Bible without witnesses, really. Jesus stepped into the temple. They were buying and selling in the temple and he flogged everybody. He didn't need anybody to come and say, okay, I'm a witness. They were selling. Oh, they were not selling. You address it. You go all out to fight it. I'm usually very passionate when I talk about issues of domestic violence and gender-based violence because I know the consequences. The consequences are beyond physical. I've met people who have stopped going to church because um, their pastor parents welcomed visitors into the house. That was why I talked about accessibility and availability for everyone. That abused them sexually from ages five to like they were, like they were 16. Wow. And today they're traumatized and devastated. I've had young people whose pastors have had sex with them severally and made them have an abortion and now that they've gotten out and say i don't want to do this anymore the pastor flips it and say oh i did it once she wants me to marry her and now that i don't want to do it again um she wants to destroy my ministry and this is something we are currently addressing you understand so you as the pastor's wife should not condone it and your congregation should know that you you stand against it whoever the perpetrator is yes that's the, that's very interesting. It's um, it's um, you know, I, 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 and I like what you said because I think that that's that's some of the motivation behind what we do. You know, because the things that happen to people in the name of the church has a long way to keep them in church or to drive them away from church. And, and I would say, I mean, it's not just the pastors, because sometimes you know the pastor's home is open, all manner of people coming, even in our own homes. And if you adopt your policy of trust no one, you know, watch everything and keep that kind of open door that our children, I remember someone saying that the God that saved her was that a week or so before one uncle came, the mother had told them, nobody should touch your private parts, show them the places and anybody that does that, you must come and tell mommy. And that was what happened. <laughs> one uncle came and immediately, oh, I'm going to tell mommy. And that was it. And of course the uncle had to leave. You know, and, and, and there's a place where it comes to believing. You know, one of the greatest things we can do for victims of domestic abuse or violence is to believe them and to say to them that it is not your fault. This is not the devil attacking your home because people choose to be abusive. It's a choice. You, you choose to be abusive because that those same people who are acting like that, if somebody they respect or they want to put a good image in front of walks into the house, everything will change. And usually we know that domestic abuse is behind closed doors. Uh, I know that you said that um, the pastor's wife should have knowledge. I know that you've talked about um, the pastor's wife equipping herself. Is that something the pastor's wife can do also to help the congregation? And I think you mentioned an important point, knowing the response centers. It's important as a pastor's wife to know where the safe house is near you. Are you in partnership with those people? 
Do you know that they don't have to be Christians for us to work in partnership with them? If they're doing part of the tenets of the gospel, I mean, that's part of the, the mission that Jesus declared when he declared in Luke 4. What did he say? I have come to do what? Those things he said he came to do, to set the oppressed free, all of that. There was one day, sometimes I think, oh, where is the Bible in this thing I'm doing? And one day I saw that as in, wow, that was Jesus's mandate. That was what Jesus was passionate about, and I should be passionate about it. So what can the pastor's wife do to help her congregation? You know, what can she do to help them to also be the kind of people that recognize abuse, know what to do? Because it would be something to say, bad, 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 bad. It could be something, but what's there for the pastor's wife to do? And what does the Bible say to perpetrators? Is there hope for them? Can they change? You know, because sometimes I know we talk about the victims and we leave perpetrators. Some of them say they are under a cause, they are under this, they are under that. What is the hope? What would you say as a pastor's wife to a perpetrator, especially when he or she wants to change? Yeah, um, thank you, Gracilis. So um, for the pastor's wife and her congregation, there's a place of um, education. We shouldn't be afraid to to talk about these things in church. We shouldn't be afraid to provide education on gender-based violence, domestic violence, sexual rights, and all that in church. It's not a taboo. Um, we're sexual beings, so we should talk about these things. So the, um, the culture of silence is, is what, you know, is affecting everybody. And we should also take the stand of prevention, like I talked about. So, I know the signs of abuse, and I know when a lady in church is in a relationship with somebody that is abusive, and I'm able to call both of them to have a conversation with them. I've done that. I saw um, a lady's fiance talk to her in a certain way that depicts that, no, 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 this is not right. And I call them and talk to them. So we should adopt the approach of prevention First of all, education. We need to educate our congregation about these things. We need to talk about it. Uh, we need to talk about it in church. And then for the perpetrator that wants to change, that's another ball game. But let me address the perpetrators that have built a system around um, gender-based violence, around sexual abuse. Some perpetrators in church have built a system about it, and they, they have built doctrines around it and call it um, um, the gospel of grace, um, in quotes, and that um, God um, doesn't judge us based on what we do. Um, um, we don't have to be perfect, you know, for God to love us. Forgetting that the Bible says, add to your faith this, add to mm -hmm. your, you mm -hmm. understand, mm -hmm. and that you have to build character. Mm -hmm. And so if you're justifying your sin by making your congregation believe that one of the provisions of grace is for you to dwell in sexual immorality, mm -hmm. then that's error. That's mm -hmm. an error. Mm -hmm. So that's a perpetrator that is not willing to change. Mm -hmm. And I will not call such a perpetrator um, somebody who has a weakness mm. for crying out loud. You've had sexual intercourse with five girls in your church. You've gotten some of them pregnant and you try to cover up 
that 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 crime by facilitating abortions for them that's not a weakness mm -hmm. that's a systemic issue you built a system around it so you have cover up for every step of the crime but when it comes to the perpetrator that is willing to change we know when they are willing to change you you see repentance you see remorse they are not defensive about it they don't go about ostracizing and castigating the survivors mm -hmm. that have spoken out mm -hmm. you understand one perpetrator um told a survivor that spoke out that um you can't you can't you can't speak out about this thing it's either you leave the church or you speak out you can't even stop being a pastor in the church you have to keep being a pastor or you leave the church <coughs> you understand so that's not a perpetrator that wants to change a perpetrator that wants to change will come out to his congregation not because not because they are god to you and say you have heard xyz i did it and i'm willing to change you won't be trying to cover up by any means or by you know turning everyone that is calling your attention to it to an enemy such a perpetrator needs to be helped mm. you understand mm. um such a perpetrator will need a lot of um, um psychosocial support mm. uh to be able to come out of it will need a lot of counseling will need a lot of because behavior change is a process mm. so we have to we have to know that um a perpetrator that made a mistake not a perpetrator that is building a system around gender-based violence and sexual abuse was either unaware of the enabling environment he created mm. for that to happen mm. so you support such a perpetrator with creating an environment that would prevent him from any appearance of evil for example you know that you're prone to sexual sins and all the PAs and secretaries in your office are females. And then you operate, um, you operate on the closed doors. That's not healthy for you. That's an enabling environment for sexual sin to thrive. So you help such a perpetrator to say, okay, you need to change the workers around you mm -hmm. as you're crying out to God for help. The Bible says, flee every appearance of evil. We're not saying that women are evil. But you have a weakness in this regard, mm -hmm. so you have to create an enabling environment for you to stay away from this crime, from this sin. You understand? And then you help such a perpetrator to practice the behavior change too, in the sense that the perpetrator is able to, you know, be accountable to you when something is about going wrong. My my husband has a group or where they have a group of male pastors, an accountability group, kind of, mm -hmm. where they talk to each other openly. Um, this is happening to me. Um, this lady doesn't want to leave me alone. She's always coming to my DM, sending me this and that, and they're able to talk and strategize mm -hmm. on how to prevent this. Now, such a perpetrator that is willing to change is humble mm -hmm. and teachable mm -hmm. and willing to learn. But a perpetrator that is not willing to change, is unrepentant, mm. 
is very defensive and doesn't want to speak to anyone about it, does not open up. You understand? And then we should also know that when these perpetuators that are willing to change try the behavior change, there might be a relapse. Mm -hmm. There might be a relapse because that's one of the stages of behavior change. There might be a relapse. So be there to support them um, to come out. Be there to support them to stand strong because you've seen that they are willing to change, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, they'll be able to maintain the behavior change, um, um, so to speak. And the place of prayers, I will not undermine mm -hmm. the place of prayers and the place of the study of the word. Um, you know, when we talked about misinterpreting the scriptures, a lot of people has, have misinterpreted grace um, to say that you don't need to live a holy life. And God, you don't, you're already righteous by default when you got born again. So everything you do outside does not affect your well, spirit. Jesus, or spirit Jesus has life. already died for the sin. Jesus is not dying for any new sins. He has died for your sins, both present, past, future, yeah. and all of that. And it's quite interesting because uh, that thing you said, I remember, I mean, recently, it was just here today or so. I was like, oh, let me start to look at him. Uh, as the year is rounding up, let me pick a small book to, and it's not really a small book. Let me just pick a book. I was like, okay, let me look at the book of Ephesians. And I, I was reading something one of the commentators wrote this morning, yes. And he said, you know, the scripture that has to do with Ephesians 1, he has called us, predestined us, called us to live a holy and a blameless life. And he said, the purpose of being predestined is not heaven, is to live a holy. And, and, and that really struck me because I'm like, wow, I've, I've, I've been looking at the scripture since arguing with the Calvinist and arguing with all it, because when it comes to the doctrine of election and all of that, arguing with all those people, but just seeing the scripture in that light, I said, look at what the scripture says. It says the purpose of the call is not to make heaven. The purpose is to live a holy and a blameless life, and that is primary. It's been an interesting time. I mean, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our viewers and listeners have learned a lot as in the, the, the change, the behavior change, the fact that um, things can be changed, understanding that there can be a relapse, understanding that there's a need for you to take a stand. And, and if you do take a stand, people will raise when you don't have a stand that people will wonder, what does she think? What does she not think? There's a certain way a pastor's wife carries herself with the things she says that will make it possible for a woman whose husband might even be the men's president to Come to you to speak. There's a certain way you carry yourself that even if the husband is even not in the church, she won't even bother. And, and, and I, I think that I, I love what you've also said about the role of accountability. That is one very big thing that we have. And sometimes in church, when we have um, the older women teaching the younger women, and of course, when we say this, we're, we're not just saying in age, we're also saying people who have had the right experience or who have learned by experience as this is the way. You know, you go about things and what to do. I remember listening to Pastor Sarah Marco saying the first time her, her, her husband did something like that. There was a certain reaction, a certain thing she did that made it never to happen again. That there's a certain way we can go about these things that say this is unacceptable by all standards. And we are created in God's image. God treats us as his special, special, precious children, not to be beaten or battered 
to be spoken to anyhow because you know he says that we're the apple of his eye so this is just a shout out today to every pastor's wife there to say well done for the job you're doing it's not easy to you know have that seat be on the hot seat everybody sees you what did she wear today what did she not wear today and how did she tie a scarf like this See, she doesn't even know how to make up properly she doesn't know how to talk she doesn't know how to do this. every single step is criticized every single step so like one of my friends will always say i'm going to be myself and you could choose to love or choose to whatever but i will know that every day i did what i knew to be right and true not because i was trying to please the people but because i'm trying to serve god and to love the people also so i have to say a big shout out to every pastor's wife i want to say a big shout out to leah thank you so much uh, leah has been off since 3 a.m and this is almost 11 p.m and that's a long time thank you so much i really really appreciate a big shout out also to pastor ugo and thank you leo because i remember was it last year when the mutual friend we know sister died thank you and your husband again for the great role you played that time we are very grateful we'll say that openly at this time and we hope to speak to you more even behind the scenes thank you so much for joining us today thank you thank you do you have one minute one last word you want to share before you leave <laughs> just to say thank you for having me and to you the pastor's wife um know that you're still human and you're bound you can be exhausted you can be tired and you can fight evil as well <laughs> thank you so much so let's show some love to leah as she leaves thank you so much there you can leave now thank you thank you thank you we hope to see you again and to everyone we'll be here next week i believe this week is the first of december and we thought we should do something and we're going to be talking about gratitude what does it do in a relationship you know we don't just talk domestic abuse we talk healthy relationships things to do to make sure that our relationship is healthy. So we'll be looking at gratitude next week. We hope to see you there. Bye for now. Thank, Thank you. We hope you enjoyed and learnt from today's session. Till we come your way again, remember, God hates abuse. There is no excuse for abuse. The church, which is you and I, say no to domestic abuse. <laughs>